my definition of art is anything that is created from nothing. It's a translation of the world. It's, I mean, art is communication, art is culture, art is expression, art is so many different things. Um, it's really hard to pinpoint. Welcome to the Art and Life podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. I just want to say thank you to you, the listener, for being here. This podcast is intended to encourage, inspire, and entertain. The guests of this podcast are digging deep and putting it all out there. And without you on the listening end, it would not be the same. So if you like what you hear, hit subscribe and share it with someone you think might be into it. Now. On to the good stuff. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos, and with me today is an awesome guest. I'm totally pumped to have this artist on the podcast. Uh, she's from Denver, Colorado, originally living and working out of Bellingham, Washington. Uh, she's an awesome, awesome human and an alumni from Colorado State University, where I went to school as well. So, uh, Gretchen Leggett, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure, Taylor, and so great to chat with you, my long lost friend. Yeah, yeah. It's been a few years. It's been a few <laughs> years. Yeah, we were kind of reminiscing about uh, that uh, before we started recording, and that was a while ago. We graduated a little while ago. Yeah, time has flown by. You know, I I'm proud. I'm proud of these years. I feel oh. like we've wisely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you especially have, have made very good use of them, uh, you know, which people can see. Everybody's got to go check out your work and uh, yeah, see all the things and, and they will. So, all right, let's dive right into it. Um, this is episode one of season four, which I'm really pumped. And I wanted to have you on here as the lead off hitter because you're rad. And uh, yeah, so I guess my first question is, what are you most pumped on with your work these days? Wow, that's a great question. And oh goodness, I think 
Um, something that I am incredibly excited about lately is collaborating with Lummi Nation. So um, Lummi Nation is the um, indigenous tribe that is um, native to the region in which I live up here in the great Pacific Northwest. And um, for the last year and a half, I've been collaborating with a few members of the tribe, um, a lovely, lovely artist by the name of Jason LeClaire, who I put up a mural with. And um, we then put up a very large 10 piece installation with um, two other artists, Free and Raven Borsi, um, and working alongside um, this wonderful, wonderful production company called Children of the Setting Sun Production. Um, so that's just been really invigorating, um, getting an opportunity to collaborate with um, just some rad artists, good people putting up work that I find to be very profound and meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like uh, your style has like a very um, natural sort of like uh, nature based element, uh, you know, like, and and I feel like it would go very well with, it's like an honoring of nature in, in ways that maybe go along with like the indigenous cultures, right? Well, absolutely. I must admit that a lot of my lines um, in the illustration style that I've um, kind of worked through over my life, you know, over my lifetime as an artist has been strongly influenced by Coast Salish designs. Um, I was introduced to that style at a very young age, um, having a family of artists who spent a lot of time traveling through the Pacific Northwest and bringing back artifacts and beautiful works. And um, I've just been intrigued by the sharp, clean movement, um, just the form lines of Coast Salish work, like the S-curve and the ovoid. Um, and when you go out to nature, when you're staring at water, you do see these lines appear in the natural elements, just these very organic shapes that I feel Coast Salish artists captured so beautifully. So I must admit I was influenced. And so it's an honor to work with members of um, Coast Salish communities who have definitely um, developed and mastered this style over the past many, many, many generations. Yeah. The opportunity to learn a lot as well from them so oh i'm sure because i mean these these cultures go back so far and like i'm sure that you know visually you can pick up a lot from just looking at a style but then like learning the history and the context and like the fables and all those things i'm sure that goes really deep into it absolutely yeah it just adds um this idea of meaning and cultural significance behind a work, I, I feel kind of shallow in my own personal cultural history. I'm, you know, the, the great granddaughter of some immigrants from, um, from Europe. And I just, I don't feel like I have a very deep cultural significance within the region in which I live and so it's just so beautiful to meet people who do have that who have these stories that have been passed down generation after generation after generation that are 
surrounding these deep ties that they have to this land that we get to enjoy. So I'm I'm kind of gleaning off of their their experience within these lands. Yeah, totally. Inserting it's, my own. Yeah, yeah, and bringing your own energy to it and your voice and your your perspective. It's always like it it's a challenge. It's I mean I guess like in the concept of like cultural appropriation, if we, if we can go there, I mean, like, might as well just dump right, Please, right go in. There. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I feel like um, one thing that's a very important thing to keep in mind with cultural appropriation is the intention of the people using and like, uh, you know, taking ideas and then uh, developing them and um, making them their own or adding their own voice to it. And um, yeah, I, I mean. Well, yeah, I, I've i had a lot of, um, I've done a lot of research on cultural appropriation. I have really stepped lightly with the projects that I get involved with and how I get involved with them concerning Coast Salish work um, and how it is represented in the public domain by me who has absolutely no um lineage to to these um indigenous roots um that said the tool that i have and why i chose to get involved in these collaborations was simply my experience um putting up public art and the the trust that entities that building owners that the local government had in my ability and my professionalism to execute large public art installations. And having gained this trust and this experience, um, I really saw a blatant void of, of Coast Salish work in our public domain. We have um, two totems, I believe we only have two totems um, in our, in our provincial. And I, you know, I want to see more, I want to see more reflections of the of the visual roots here. And so um, I, I saw a void and I knew that I could combine my experience with um, with a Coast Salish artist talent. And um, the outcome was absolutely incredible. So I didn't feel like I was appropriating because I was collaborating with. I wasn't drawing their form lines, they were. Instead, um, we had, the way that we worked it out is I created the background and he created the foreground, which were um, lummy representations of a salmon run and um, the killer whale. So I it worked out beautifully, but I, from what I have, the knowledge that I've gained about appropriation, I personally would not feel comfortable creating the lummy form lines and the lummy iconography and putting it out to the world because that's not that's not my voice yeah that's not my voice. so yeah but it's uh, obviously you are um like a champion of the culture and like you 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 are a celebrator of the culture and you're an ally and your intentions are to bring that back and so yeah, like, I I mean, I feel like when I look at your art and, you know, I'm, I'm hearing all about this collaboration, like, it's obvious that your heart is in the right place. And, um, and visual style is a, is a language. 
and like what you're talking about with the Kosalish style it's like that's that's like the local language and you as an artist are coming in and like you want to learn the language and and use it and like take it and and like kind of flip it in your own way and like I, I just feel like that's how art works and that's how language works and culture and humans and societies and um yeah I mean if you're if your intention is in the right place then like you're doing as well as you can beautiful way of putting it taylor <laughs> that it like it is yeah, yeah you know <laughs> um yeah so now you and i shared this uh common experience we weren't on the same trip together but we both got to go to italy on a study abroad experience at colorado state tell us a little bit about that for you Oh, wow. That was formative. Um, wow. We studied abroad in a small little medieval village called Castiglione Fiorentino in this absolutely magnificent school that was um, built out of a monastery dating back to the 1300s. So it was as fairy tale dreamy as one could ever imagine. For, a, um, for an art school experience. I mean, this town had two, two entrances into it and just nobody there spoke English. It was just as authentic as you can get. Um, and the school was run by a gentleman named Paolo who lived and breathed Italian and European art history. I mean, this man was a genius. Um, so oh, that was that was just enchanting. And I think the opportunity to study abroad anywhere when you're in these formative years of college is just really significant and substantial in your own development as a professional or, you know, a student. But have, getting to go to Italy, the land of the masters and learning from one was um, just an awe-inspiring experience. Yeah. <laughs> I I personally thought that I would be more inspired to create my own art there and find my own voice studying there, but it was actually the exact opposite. I was quite stifled trying to make art there because I was just so enamored with seeing art. <laughs> yeah. Learn, learning about Giotto and Cimabue and just the, the masters. So yeah. How was your experience there? Oh my gosh, same thing. It was incredible. Every Wednesday we would go to a different town like Siena and Montepulciano and all these different places and just like go to the church there and look at some crazy Renaissance painting from, you know, one of the masters and get to study it and see it and just be in total awe. And it was cool because I took art history one, two, and three before that and then went on that trip. And so like all of it that we'd been studying, it was just like, oh my god there it is like in real life um yeah I was just moving the landscape's incredible I just remember the sunsets at Santa Chiara like over the valley were just insane and uh, <laughs> yeah I would say my my most romantic experience there was learning how to play the guitar in an olive grove <laughs> <laughs> 
they had this guitar hanging from the wall at our school that it was missing a string you know this town sure didn't have guitar strings anywhere in it you would have to go to the to Siena to find those but um yeah so the the uh the broken guitar I learned how to play some neutral milk hotel tunes in an in an olive orchard that's awesome I got into um I got into playing soccer there with I played my whole life but I got really into playing with the the locals there and I would go in the evenings and like play with these Italian dudes and it was really fun yes we got into that as well and I had never played soccer in my entire life I feel like the only American kid who's never played soccer um but I I did learn how to play in Italy and yeah we were team Argyle so it was us um it was our team and the Albanians. It was the Santa Chiara, or it was the um, Santa Chiara kids and the Albanians versus the Italians. And <laughs> all were hiked up Argyle socks and behave in such ludicrous manners that the that we felt like the Italians were just judging us and so shocked by us that we could like move in for the kill because wearing <laughs> ridiculous outfits, wondering what are these people doing. That's a nice. That's a nice strategy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, now back to the art of it. Do you feel like do you, do you feel like that experience influenced your art moving forward? Because yes. you didn't do much art there, but you. Right. Um. There were a few experiences while I was in Italy that definitely influenced my art. Um one of which was heading down to Rome and seeing a Damien Hirst exhibit at the National Art Museum. And I had just never, I I didn't, I was not familiar with his work. And um, I went down there and I remember standing in front of a piece, a piece of his called St. Augustine. It was a bull hanging with arrows through it. Um, it was a martyr and an anamorphic version of St. Augustine. And it was just absolutely magnificent. I had I just never had these experiences in front of pieces of art that, that evoked tears coming from my eyes, you know? And I found that as well in front of a um, Caravaggio in the Sistine Chapel. It was in the um, exit, in the exit gallery of the Sistine Chapel. And it was just, staring at a painting, just soliciting tears, I think I really, really, really began to feel the power of art um, in a way that I had never experienced. And I'm, I'm trying to think of how that influenced, I mean, that influenced curiosity, it influenced emotion in my work. Um, I started doing um, more figurative work that I think had a much deeper um, tone to it, a much more serious tone to it versus just playful, pretty little things. Um, so that definitely kind of set off a journey for me for over the next 10 years. Nice. Yeah. The Sistine Chapel ceiling got me. <laughs> that was one thing that I spent like two hours in there just like completely floored like completely just like over I don't know it was like a it was a pure being moment for me <laughs> was it the entirety of it or did you get enamored with just one um I really like 
I always loved the Delphic Sybil. Um, she she was one of the coolest. I loved the just like the form that she's taking and the the drapery of of her like tunic thing. And I just yeah, I feel like the 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 characters kind of around the edge of the ceiling are my favorites. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful orange silk dresses. Exactly. <laughs> just so beautifully done it's like it's just like buttery <laughs> yeah another piece that I really loved that was very moving to me did you go to see the David oh yeah yep so in the entrance like in the apps while you're walking to the David are a body of work called the slaves and they were unfinished busts yeah just partially partially chiseled out of the marble and those really did a lot for me. Just this idea of just seeing the artist's hand and just the work in progress um, or knowing that the artist chose to walk away from these and leave them in this unfinished state, I think was really beautiful. And that's definitely a characteristic that I um, took away for, for many years, just showing being not being afraid to show lines and to show your pencil marks and to um to to allow your flaws to become part of the artwork yeah yeah and I've heard it talked about that uh those are like the first examples of like modern art creeping in and uh yeah I mean I feel the same way like I was I, I loved those and was really influenced and I feel like I want to do that in my work all the time as well and leave it sort of unfinished while finishing parts of it and like that is how I describe my stuff a lot too and like how I want it to be and it was definitely influenced by that yeah it's funny because mural art has kind of forced me to to create a much different product, a much more finished product. I, it's, you're working in such a large scale, you can't let those lines show through. An artist, a muralist like Faith 47, allows those drips to just be seen and allows her flaws and expressive lines to exist in her, in her large scale murals. And I have no idea how she does that. <laughs> how you can allow expressive lines to exist when they're 15 feet long. I'm right. like, really gotta, you really gotta work your boom lift to get that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. On When it's a, a big scale like that, like a brushstroke can't just go across the entire wall. Yeah. A drip is invisible to the eye from 50 feet right. away. Right. So how you're going to allow paint to drip, you know, you've got to use a, bucket of paint and a big ass roller to get that yeah. paint to drip so it's pretty bold and daring so I do find that my um my smaller works definitely allow much more of that creative expression um and kind of hand of the artist versus my mural work which is a lot more fine-tuned and clean yeah um now speaking of paint Yes. And process. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your your use of spray paint and murals and like what what what's going on there and uh, and you know small scale. What do you like to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh my goodness. You know, it was all a learning curve. I mean, I started out. My first few murals were all done with paint brushes and little cans of paint, um, and 
Oh my goodness. Especially on a bumpy wall. I just, it's maddening trying to dab paint into, you know, the, the porous cracks and, um, holes in brick and, um, architectural stone. It, it yeah. will just drive you insane. So, um, very shortly into my career, I, um, linked up with my buddy, Max McNett, who was a, who is an established graffiti artist. And, you know, he's, he's great with a can. And basically I'm like, Max, show me what you do. I've, I've got to learn this medium and I'm too afraid to do it, you know, to try it out myself on a wall. And you do need it. I, I found that I need a big wall to learn how to spray paint. So he he taught me on on my third mural ever, which ended up being the largest mural in the state of Washington. That Whoa. was the most <laughs> I learned how to spray paint. So, you know, just give yourself 22,000 feet to learn how to master the master a new tool. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's where I learned how to spray paint. And that's kind of that has definitely been my medium of choice. Um I use everything from, you know, Belden and Montana 94 are my favorite cans. I like gold. Black black is great too. Um I pretty much use two tips. I use a a 1 and a 6, a level 1 and 6, just a fat and a skinny. Um yeah, that's kind of my favorite. I am finding that I'm kind of starting to feel hindered by the lack of color palette. I really want to work in a much more neutral spectrum and I'm just not finding the colors that I want within the spray paints that I can get. So I think for- Like what are you, what are you wanting to get more of? Oh, I mean, there's just certain colors that I'm just, that I'm not finding in the palettes, um, certain oranges and and um kind of just more neutral tones greens and yeah just more tertiary colors yeah. um that I would like to use so I I think I'm just going to be forced to begin kind of doing more um you know canned paint and spray paint mixed yeah. primarily so and you can't you can't get custom colors and spray paint, right? There's no way to do that. I I'm gonna tell you, I have not researched this enough. I mean, you can make custom airbrush paint. Um, I know plenty of artists who do that. Um yeah. I have seen um I've seen tools that claim to be able to turn any campaign into aerosol but I have never heard of a success story beyond you know a quarter of the can yeah and it globs up so yeah I'm I'm just not sure but I I really enjoy spray painting so yeah that's, that's definitely my preferred medium nice um well I use brushes and rollers but uh I've been getting into spray painting because of the advantages that you talked about earlier. And um, I've been using spray painting to to do a lot of the sketching. Right. And then like rolling and um, and then like also I have a sprayer for like a, an actual paint sprayer for like big sections and whatnot. But yeah, the um, the spray can 
sketching element is so nice because you just get those continuous lines and they can flow so beautifully and you can adjust how close or far your hand is to the wall and thickness and angles and like oh my god I actually only tried that for the first time like six months ago and uh I immediately I was like holy shit this is what all (laughs) the rage is about (laughs) it's like the vine charcoal yeah like spray paint is like what vine charcoal is to you know to a 4h or a 6h pencil yeah it's just it's creamy it's easy to get on it's just carefree yeah with with those gestural just baselines for sure and the fades you can do are just like you can just fade so easily it's like so smooth and easy and um yeah that's awesome um are you do you work digitally at all yes I work a lot digitally um I feel like your illustrative style would go perfectly uh you know go really nicely on digital yeah my friend who taught me how to spray paint also introduced me to the ipad which has definitely been a game changer um i'm on that thing for about seven hours a day yeah Uh, yeah because i i program operate a sticker company and i do all of my illustrations for that um in procreate yeah I've been working a little bit in Adobe Fresco to do freehand vector art, which is an incredible program um, because I do not work well on Adobe Illustrator. Vector art is kind of my arch nemesis when, you know, when I'm working with product lines who want me to create vector art. It's always like, well, we're going to have to quadruple my time on this project because that's how long it takes me. Um, is oh. Fresco like uh, basically like a simplified version of Illustrator? Uh, I mean, it allows based? you to freehand draw it. Yeah, it's vector-based. It's like Procreate, but with vectors. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, because you're freehand drawing in vectors, it's a little bit more, um, it's, it's a little slower and a little bit more, um, it's less streamlined, but um, yeah, it's the ability to sketch in vector is is a pretty beautiful thing. Because my problem with Illustrator is I feel like it it's so calculated and the manipulation is so intense of, you know, turning one gestural line into a bunch of little anchors and, um, and pulleys. It just, I, I feel like it takes away the creative element and it just inhibits my ability to, um, to really think creatively instead it's more engineering and mechanical thinking right. so i i just love programs like fresco that allow you to free draw that's fun yeah check it out for sure and it it allows you to move between pixel and fresco so you can draw the very similar to procreate and then add vector layers onto it oh yeah yeah that's awesome so you can like sketch things out and and then import it into from procreate into uh yeah you can do that or you can just draw in pixel art in fresco so it's very similar very 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 similar to procreate just less intuitive if you've been on procreate for a few years yeah yeah i've been on for like a a year and a half eh, maybe two years and um yeah i'm still just like kind of getting my feet wet there's a lot you can do on it and 
so much. So much fun. It's like, and I, I feel like uh, Photoshop, I was working a lot in Photoshop in the last like 10 years, just like putting artwork imagery together and whatnot. But like Procreate is sort of the middle ground where you can just it's so much more intuitive it's way more like you can flow with it you can draw way easier and it's nice oh yeah there's so many fun things that you can do a few years back I ended up um just weaving around and made an animation because you can record your drawing process right right you, you can record every mark and every erase that you've made and I was just like well what if I just think of this recording happening and erase and redraw things and copy copy images and alter them and move them and in the end I made a three and a half minute long animation that actually ended up getting featured in a ton of um, mountain film festivals (laughs) (laughs) national film festival (laughs) and I almost got it in a bamf like it was pretty cool just this rudimentary illustration recording nice idea super fun so I definitely not the highest quality but you know it's it's like a Darren is it Darren Aronofsky the the director who just does long he he doesn't cut his filming he just does one long extended scene so yeah it's very similar to that that's awesome (laughs) well it's cool because like you know you you're describing it as like relatively rudimentary or simple, but like some, sometimes that's exactly perfect for what, you know, someone's looking for in terms of imagery or design or, or, or a video or whatever. Like um, it's cool. I, I guess what I'm saying is we can sometimes think that things need to be developed. Um, and if they're not developed then they're not as good, but good is such a relative term. And like, undeveloped could be perfect well exactly and that's why it got so much traction um because of the fact that nobody had seen anything like this they're used to all of the films the mountain films being just these beautiful images of you know pro athletes doing gnarly things or you know just everything is so clean cut and so contrived now that here comes this animation that is just like you know (laughs) just this wacky little thing but it was about the focus of the film was about a um of the animation was about a bike tour that I went on and I mean it was such a great metaphor for the actual tour itself the way that this animation was created it was never ending you know it's just one long continuous journey it is raw it is bumpy it has its flaws and it's beautiful moments and you know it's just unedited that's just I mean that's what a journey is right that's what an adventure is perfect (laughs) and the art form can be a metaphor for the actual subject oh totally that's awesome that's great art right there um all right well we're getting to the point where we could jump into the questions if you'd like let's do it Awesome. I hear I'm the guinea pig for season four questions. You are. It's great. Uh, yeah, every year I update the questions. And so this is the new set that I'm going to be throwing at everybody. Um, okay, so question one, we're going to just dive right in. What is a major challenge that you've had to face? Wow, a major challenge that I've had to face. Um. 
Great question. Okay. Technically with art, pricing my art, pricing my art is the least favorite thing. Pricing my hours, pricing my time is one of my least favorite things. And it's a huge challenge. And I still am challenged by this. Um, just trying to collect data points, talk to other artists and figure out what the value of work is has just always been a challenge for me. And it continues to be. So I know that you were looking for maybe something a little bit more juicy or fun, but no. um, that's my continual challenge. No, I think that's great. And it is a major challenge, I think, for artists of all kinds of like how to value themselves, their time, their work and everything. And it is uh, it's always a negotiation and anyone who's commissioning you or purchasing something from you, you know, they're going to want to pay a certain amount and maybe you're in alignment with them right off the bat, or maybe you have to do some negotiating and deliberation. And, um, have you like had any major like concepts that have come through that have helped you, uh, figure that out? Time? I mean, there have been checkpoints along the way, along my creative journey. For example, for years, I was, you know, working for $25 and $30 an hour because I had always been a school teacher um, in the public school system working for, you know, pennies. <laughs> it was a community service <laughs> career. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I was thinking, oh, my, my time is worth $30 an hour. And I didn't even realize that you know, 18 year olds were making $30 an hour these days at their startup jobs. And I had a friend who's, he is a um, beautiful metal worker. And he was like, Gretchen, what are you doing? You need to ask for $65 an hour. That is what your time is worth. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's, that's what a lawyer's time is worth. Turns out I'm frugal like that. <laughs> like lawyers are making $65 an hour, but he finally convinced me, you know, you've just got to do it. Just try it out and see see if the client even questions that so for one job I just wrote it in 65 dollars an hour I had doubled my hourly for a new client you know I didn't just pop that on a client that I already have had but um I wrote it in and bada boom they didn't even question it and I just realized like oh wow so I I am worth that much I am worth $65 an hour and it was just it was you know I had to pull the band-aid and um and it took the encouragement of my friends who were experienced artists who had been in the career for a long time you know who knew what the what the average of um you know what like-minded um artists who were doing similar projects were worth so what that value was so I think uh, that was a pretty big one, like doubling my income in just one trial shot. Um, so, and then I've kind of gone from there, you know, I establishing my career as a muralist, I started out um, at, with modest pricing and, and now, you know, I was getting so many requests for murals. It's like, I don't have enough time and energy to do all these murals. So I guess I'll, if I have this much interest, I guess I should just be you know, increasing the the cost of my work because that's the value of my time. So just ramping it up. Yeah. Great job. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, all right, cool, cool. Now, uh, question two, where would you like to see your work 
go in five years. In five years. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's big. I would love to do more international murals. Um, I can tell you where I want my work to go in two years. Um, I'm I want to go much bigger. I've got a few very large murals lined up um, for the next few years. Um, uh, I've got four murals that are over 80 feet tall. Um, oh. yeah, <laughs> big. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, my ground level murals, you know, the, I'm just sick of seeing vandalism on my murals like the ground level, I did these two of my favorite murals that I've ever done are these beautiful women in this alley. They're my girls. I love them. And they get dicks painted on them all the time. And it's heartbreaking. You know, I've painted over those girls so many times. That's kind of part of being a muralist. You either need to just let it go or you need to keep up um, maintenance on your artwork. And it's just, it gets old. It gets heartbreaking. So I'm getting uh, off. For you to have to <sighs> like be up close and personal with the bullshit that somebody's like doing in the middle of the night, like it's you know, I, it doesn't make me angry. It makes me sad. I'm right. like, if somebody feels the need to vandalize beautiful artwork, then they've they've had a they've had a crappier day than I. You yeah. know, they've got, they've got some demons that they're fighting. So, you know, it's just sad. But that's not, you know, that's not the main reason why I'm going big and off the ground level. But it it sure is. And, you know, yeah. it's a nice, a nice benefit of going big. But yeah, I I think um my my goals are to, in the next five years, make massive positive impact in community spaces. This idea of placemaking is so important to me. Um, I've been establishing a project um, with my dear friend, Nick Hartrick, um, over the past uh, few years. It's called Paper Whale and it's community placemaking. Um, and just this opportunity to gather minds to summon ways and to collaboratively design ideas to create positive impact in your community, I think is such a valuable opportunity. And being the person that I am, I, I like making things happen. I like turning ideas into actual implemented projects and seeing, seeing them through to the end. And so, um, and just seeing the impact, the positive impact. I mean, that's one of the most beautiful things about a mural, having conversations with the people who are impacted by the artwork and hearing from them like wow this makes my commute to work exponentially better wow this makes me feel good about living here when I was thinking it was all going to shit you know I think that there's just such beautiful um echo and response to um putting something positive out there so I I'm stoked like that's what I want to continue doing for the next five years creating positive impact in the public domain. Yeah, you're doing it. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, I'm getting outside of Bellingham. You know, I put up a lot of work in Bellingham um, over the last five years. I've, I've really had a beautiful, beautiful um, opportunity to put up over 25 murals in our in our small town and it's just been a wicked cool opportunity and allowed me to grow so much as a professional and i'm 
I've done enough. I've decided I've done enough. So actually, um, this, you know, just this over the past few months, I've put together a directory of up and coming artists who are interested in doing murals. And um, even if they haven't, I, I now have this directory that I'm providing people who are asking me to put up murals. And I'm giving them, I'm saying, I'm sorry, I've done enough, but here is a list of artists that are interested in doing murals. So just kind of moving aside and becoming more of a mentor for other people and, um, you know, a cheerleader for other people to get their name out there and to have that, this experience that you and I have had the honor of in putting up public art. You know, it's a really powerful, incredible opportunity that I think if you're a driven artist, everyone should have that. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh that looks good. Five years looks good. Yeah, I'm hopefully hold me accountable. Call me in five years, see if I've done it. <laughs> I don't I don't feel like you need that really. <laughs> I see what you're doing out there. <laughs> um all right. Now uh question three is in terms of advice for aspiring creatives, and I use the word creative with a capital C. Uh, you know, this is artists from all you know music visuals uh everything um whatever people are creative in what would you say is the most important thing to focus on ingenuity i think it's really 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 easy especially in this world of shared information i'm thinking instagram where you can just look up a style that you like and using the tools that we now have with technology and iPads, you can just copy that or you can just go down a rabbit hole of getting, seeking a lot of inspiration and just regurgitating it um, just in your, in your hand. And I, I'm just seeing a lot of mimicry these days in the art world. Maybe that's always happened and we just didn't have you know, the internet, a shared platform to see how much similar things were happening. I mean, I guess look at the Renaissance, it all looked the same. <laughs> but um, that said, I think um, something that has allowed me to be successful in the creative industry, which is always intimidating when choosing a career as an artist, is the fact that I had a few ingenuitive ideas. I, I you know, invented this thing called the hydroscape infinity sticker and um that allowed me to find success in a creative domain in the industry um i think it's easy to gain inspiration from something that you see and are inspired by but it's most important to just observe that be inspired and close it tuck it away and do yourself. So, and I think along those lines is to just not stop creating, to just keep going and going and going and going and going, even when it feels forced, because I think it's just about pulling it out of you, you know, just pushing your boundaries and your limits with what you can do as a creative. And um, you can't, you cannot get there. You cannot be great by just being idle yeah totally and uh i mean i feel like the the ingenuity those original creative ideas and concepts sounds styles whatever 
like those come through all that work you're you're talking about like hours and time and and energy in and you're going to have those little breakthroughs that no one else has ever had that are going to you can put together to be like you yeah I mean a lot of my artwork focuses on quote-unquote mountain art um, which is a very very popular genre these days and it's just you know you see so much of the same thing and I've you know had to call out numerous artists who are painting murals that look just like mine and it's just it's like how how do we create things that are unique and how do we get outside of the box and for me scale has been a huge opportunity to do that you know by painting mountains that are the size of mountains you know but um I think yeah it's it's a challenge and it's a challenge that I face you know as well it's definitely a challenge that I face but best way to the best way to really prevent mimicry is to just keep on forging forward and forging your own paths yeah yeah totally um I like that keep on going folks keep on going (laughs) Um, as Bobby D would say exactly (laughs) all right great now question four here it is What's your definition of drum art? Roll. There's the yeah, drum, yeah. Roll. drum roll, drum roll. What's your definition of art? Ooh, definition of art. Welp. This is interesting because I was an art teacher for 13 years and I should have an immediate answer for you. Um, I mean, it's changed so many times. My definition of art is anything that is created from nothing you know taking it's a translation of a world of the world it's I mean art is communication art is culture art is expression art is so many different things um it's really hard to pinpoint but I mean art is imagination it's imagination I really don't have one specific answer for you um I mean, I I want to jump straight to the Dada period and think of Marcel Duchamp's toilet, his urinal that he signed our mutt and put it in a gallery and said, this is art. And it is because that was his, that was, that urinal did not exist on the gallery floor until he put it there. And it got, it was thought provoking. It got people pondering this question of what is art. And so... I guess in that term, art is intention, art is, um, art is creating. There's my very long, very meandering non-answer to your question. <laughs> that was art right there. That was art. I have a, I have a mirror for you, Taylor. What is art to you? What is the definition of art? Mm, well, I don't think there is one definition of art. Um, I just got interviewed by I had a guest uh at the end of the season every season I have a guest interviewer a guest host uh and he just interviewed me for the last episode and at that point actually I think my definition of art has changed every time and this recent one um I was saying that it's along the lines of experimentation um like uh creative conscious and sometimes unconscious experimentation I love that 
I'm thinking mm. of a poet experimenting with words. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're just like inserting different ideas into place and seeing how that fits and switching things out and you know, like and that going back to, you know, your idea or your concept of um in ingenuity and like a creative originality. It's like we you know, we try on other things and say, okay, I kind of like that, but it's not quite right. And so let me move that out and put something new in there. And you're always like, um, kind of honing in. Yeah. yeah. I like the answer. But I, I guess we can both agree that there is not just one answer. <laughs> oh, there definitely is not. There's uh, I mean, this is the 101st episode of this podcast and we've had 101 different <laughs> answers and they've all been awesome. So um, all right, cool. Well, uh, this is the part of the podcast where I thank my guests for being on. So Gretchen, I appreciate you being on here. Um, you're you're very busy and you got a lot of things going on. And so uh, the time had to work out perfectly and it has. And um, it's been awesome watching you on your journey. You are you're killing it. I'm very proud of you. You know, you went to CSU, so you're alumni. Love to see success in in the CSU alumni, and um, but it's great. It's it's been really fun watching your style develop and seeing all the stuff you're doing. And it's really cool hearing about the direction you're going with um, the the native uh, culture there. And like, I I just think you're you're a force for good in the art world. So cheers to you. Oh, that just made my month. That just made <laughs> 23 a force for good. Yeah. um well it's true uh where can people follow you ah well i'm on this social media network called instagram you Hmm. can find me at heard of it you've heard of it great maybe i'll see you out there Uh, my handle is g too legit that is the number two so it is g number two legit um (laughs) definitely created that handle before I knew that I would have a career in the fine art. <laughs> I was advised to not change it. Yeah. After I started, um, putting up large works in public art. So um, I also have a website, GretchenLeggett.com. Nice. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, um, that's great. We just finished up part one. We're going to take a little break, get some water. Um, but before we go, can you give the listeners one last bit of on-the-spot wisdom? Give up anything you want. Smile at a stranger. I am a strong believer in the idea of shared joy. So smile at a stranger or tell them, give them a compliment, man. This world needs more love. Love it. Perfect. It's good. All right. We'll be right back. Part two is brought to you by Steady State Roasting in Carlsbad, California. This place is my favorite coffee shop on the West Coast, and the coffee is the best. They roast all their own coffees from around the world and have a roasting collective for the local coffee-making community. Check them out in the village of Carlsbad or order their beans online at (laughs) SteadyStateRoasting.com. And we are back. (laughs) we're keeping it super serious here folks on the break (laughs) Gretchen's making faces um Gretchen how you feeling feeling great nice you know it's a sunny 
beautiful day up here in the great Pacific Northwest, oh, bookended yeah. by dark, dark, rainy days. So, you know, letting the sunshine reflect my attitude. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, we have no blue skies here down in San Diego today. Had a lot of rain recently. It's been, we've been loving that. Right. The atmospheric river. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, there's been a lot of action. It's been pretty fun. The waves are really big right now. And um, yeah. Yeah, aren't there ribbon like 30 footers? Yeah. Insane. Yeah. La Jolla looks like um, Hawaii right now. It's insane. Nice. It's been really fun. <laughs> What's that? You getting in the green room? Um, I well, I haven't been barreled before, but uh, I've been getting I've been getting out there and catching some waves and having fun. And yeah, they're they're big and rowdy and um, get your heart rate going and it's crazy. Some of these waves paddling for them, and all of a sudden, like the bottom drops out and you're looking straight down, and it's scary and fun. <laughs> and you surf? I try to surf. I I have been a, uh, a a little surfing learner for the past four years, but I you know it's one of the more challenging sports that I've ever tried out. Um, I just got done driving my my new RV rig, my new mobile studio up the west coast, and having the opportunity to surf every day was really pivotal in my learning process. Like it just takes so much time and understanding. So I'm I'm getting better. You know, I'm getting out to the lineup. There you go. I can't say I'm proud of my surfing abilities, but I'm trying. Well, if you're out there and you're trying it, that's something to be proud of. Surfing is like the hardest thing to learn. And it's, uh, yeah, you're out there in the ocean. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> wildly intimidating and I'm a land person I like I grew up in Denver Colorado I'm I'm a land person so yeah yeah it's fun I like a good challenge yeah yeah and it's like the amount of beauty that you experience out there like whether you catch waves or not is just can be really really amazing sunrises sunsets like crazy you know clouds and reflections off the water and pelicans flying by and all dolphins and it's cool shark fins just circling you ah! <laughs> no we don't like to talk about those guys the guy the men in the gray suits we don't like them <laughs> gray suits, i have not heard that one <laughs> wonderful perspective what's up with this rv Oh, the RV, the mobile studio. Well, my partner and I attempted to uh, spend the year traveling the world um, because we both have the ability to remote work. And so what we decided he that he is a product manager for WTB, Wilderness Trail Bikes. It's a mountain bike component company. Sweet. And um, yeah, it was just like, wow, let's seize the let's seize the day. Like we finally have this ability to be mobile. And we have nothing tying us down. Like, let's just let's just hit the road. And so our initial idea was to travel the world. Like, we each picked six countries around the world that we were interested in, in investing a lot of time in. And our goal was to travel to each one for a month. And we started out in my pick, Oaxaca, Mexico. And we were there for five weeks. 
and it was an incredible time, like just so inspiring. The printmaking scene there, like the art scene in Oaxaca is just on fire. Like it's amazing. But um, a few weeks in, you know, my partner Clayton asked me like, so what, what are you thinking? Like, what are you thinking about this remote work life on the road? And I'm just like, whoa, I'm so having so much fun. I'm so inspired. But we were thinking about it. Like, you know, how's it going with you? And in the end, we were just really creating a lot of work. We were doing a ton, you know, working nine hour days, just not distracted by friends and projects at home. But in the end, it's like, but what have we done in Mexico? Like, what are we actually doing here? And it's like, well, we we eat great food when we get done with the work day. And it was just this feeling of like, whoa, we are spending a lot of resources to be in a different place, but we're not actually enjoying the place. It, one month was too short of a time to really actually live and dive deep into the culture but it was too long to just have a vacation and just spend quality time investigating a place. And in the end, we realized we are gentrification. We are the gringos who are coming to a developing country to glean the internet, to get the Airbnbs so that we can just work comfortably in the AC when it's 100 degrees outside. And this is the destruction of the global culture. And it just became very apparent to us that we were not wanting to travel this way. And so we had literally checked out for the year. We had had, we got a house sitter. We told all of our friends and family and community that we were leaving for the year. <laughs> and we came back five weeks later. Everyone was very concerned for us. Like, oh, for sure. Is everything okay, you guys? We're so sorry. And we're like, no, man, we had the greatest discovery of our lives. <laughs> we gotta be on the road. We love where we live. So um, yeah, that was a long story. You did ask about the RV. So in the end, we did we did have some adventure and we were curious about this whole idea of remote work. So um instead it was like, man, the US, like the United States is so vast and there's so many pockets of it that we would like to explore and see. And there's this magical thing called Starlink um, that now enables us to be tuned in to the interwebs um, on the road. So yeah, we got an RV, which like provided us enough space to, um, yeah, to, to draw, to paint, to sit behind laptops and just have flexibility um, and it enabled us. So we tried it out with five weeks going up the Cali coast and it was so, so, so successful um, just being able to work and exist and surf every morning and night and mountain bike during lunch and, and crush out long work days. So I think that's going to be our spring, just checking out the Southwest. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've signed on to RV life pretty, pretty confidently. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Oh, that's great. If you were to ask me three years ago, would I be a proud RV owner? I would have laughed at you and said, wow, give me what you're looking because that's, that's the wildest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, I've got an RV that I'm looking at and looking into. And... Yeah. We got the 22 footer, 20, Thor 22. Okay. It's the smallest RV that they make aside from a mini Winnie. And I love it, man. The class C, it's so good. Yeah. 
Yeah. So then you, do you bring, are you doing murals with that thing or are you? That would be amazing. I would love to, and I definitely envision in the future. I didn't do any, um, on this recent trip. I was just, um, working out of my, you know, smaller tools, my iPad and sketchbook and whatnot, um, watercolors, but yeah, I could definitely see that instead of having to rent, um, hotels or Airbnbs when installing out of town murals, it's definitely a great crash pad. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it's cool that you have the awareness of, uh, the type of traveler you're being. I think a lot of people don't think about that at all, at all. And, you know, they like travel places and they kind of just like, uh, treat, treat the place and the locals, like they're like sort of the background scenery to their, their life. (laughs) And it's really cool. Yeah. I was, that was really brought to the forefront of my attention when I lived in Seattle, I moved to Seattle straight after college. And um, that was a really brilliant time. It was a great time to be there as an artist. The culture was thriving. You know, this is the heart of just Americana. I mean, music alone, we had Nirvana, we had the Hendrix, you know, we had Pearl Jam. It just, there's so many great roots there and um, the creative scene, like the co-ops and whatnot were thriving when I was there. And then when technology moved in, we had Amazon and Google move into our city center. I would like to think of those entities and the patrons, the citizens that they brought to the city as metaphorically me going to a third world country to work or I'm sorry a developing country to work like they didn't they had a a different focus for why they were in the city it wasn't the culture it was for the technology and for these work opportunities that had nothing to do with the cultural identity of Seattle and instead it pushed out the artists and the musicians and the mom-pa businesses and I just watched the counterculture move into Seattle and I watched it get gutted. I watched our culture get gutted and it was heartbreaking. Like it broke my heart. I feel cheated on. Like I, it really saddens me to this day. And I don't want to be that person, it, you know, and I'm not pointing fingers at any individuals, it's, you know, people moving to a place for a job. But I feel that really taught me that when I'm a visitor in a place that is not my home, I need to respect the culture and the people who were there, who are there, and think of ways that I can positively observe and contribute and be part of in a way that is not taking away, but in a way that is instead feeding that. So. You know, that's what we did in Mexico or tried to do in the time that we were there. And yeah. you know, that's, that's how I want to travel and be. Yeah, that's cool. That's a nice awareness. And it's too bad that, uh, you know, Google and Facebook and all the big companies, uh, Amazon, that they don't, it's too bad that they don't have that awareness and use some of their massive resources to support the cultures that they're coming in and and like taking space from San Francisco, same thing happened. Like, uh, you know, I go out to San Francisco a lot. Um, and 
it's so weird there. Like it's missing. There's still like remnants, like echoes of the past, but it's not the same uh, as, you know, as, as it used to be for sure. And I I wasn't there for like the 60s, 70s, 80s and all the fun times there, but like you, I don't know, it's just not quite the same. And it, it seems like a lot of people that are there, just like you said, they're there for a job and they don't really give a shit about anything of the local culture. And they're just, they're just there. And the whole city has kind of been taken over by that. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to subsidize housing. I mean, that's the only way to do it and to create real estate and, you know, commercial, commercial real estate that is affordable for humanoids like us to, um, to live in. And that's just not something that has been prioritized in these times of huge growth. So, right. Right. The capitalistic model is, uh, not super successful in, um, doing a lot of things other than like focusing on capital. (laughs) It else kind of gets put to the wayside. I mean, it's also interesting because I've installed murals for Facebook and the Amazon down in Seattle, you know, but it's just, you know, right. The hands that that feeds you, like it's, I'm still gonna really have a broken heart from the influence that they had in our cities. Yeah, no, I I mean, I'll, I'm, I've done the same and I'm going to continue to do the same to work for these big companies. But, and I, and I feel like, uh, I mean, the only way to like really reach somebody is from a more connected space or like a place where somebody might actually listen. And I feel like maybe, you know, I, I don't think the, the, well, maybe the way to get it, get things to change is to blast people on media, you know, and then create a movement around it um but also there's like but there's human beings like like you said it's not like one person doing it um should i throw tomato soup on the amazon sky risers there we go i'm gonna glue myself to the building that's right what do you uh what is your take on all of that oh goodness you know at first i thought that it was absolutely ridiculous and just absolutely sacrilegious to intentionally attempt to destroy or deface a beautiful work of art that is so historically significant but um that said I heard an interview with one of the gals who one of the activists who threw tomato soup on the Van Gogh and um man she I heard an interview with her on NPR primetime NPR and she said she was she was a passionate young activist and she said you know why did i do this so that i could be on npr at prime time telling you my fight and i had to get i had to nod to that i mean she got why she she achieved the the reason she she achieved what she was going for and so i say kudos to that that said, I do think that there are other routes that they could have taken to um, to speak their their mind mm-hmm. and to gain attention. But I mean, you've got to do radical things to be an activist, and not and, 
Yeah, it's too bad. I actually really like what they've done. I feel like, um, you know, yeah, it's a it's a work of art that we all know and love, and it's historically um, contextual and important. And if the environment goes off the deep end, none of this shit matters. Like right. none of it. So like defacing a piece of artwork that we all as a society like hold on this pedestal to basically be like, fuck your pedestal because the whole fucking everything's going down. Like I feel like as a, as a work of art, like a work of performance art, like it's pretty effective. And I don't really, I didn't hear them push that element enough. Like I heard them say that a couple of times, but I feel like it, like if that was, the main point then um i feel like that's like i was just like yep <laughs> i i get it yeah i agree with you on that front absolutely yeah it's a it's a tricky thing it's double-edged sword but totally yeah. agree with you this earth is a sinking ship so we do need people to step up and listen yeah here's the other part of the 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 setup that uh, maybe didn't work quite effectively enough was um, I feel like people that really appreciate high art were probably already in the environmentalist camp anyway. Right. And so like the problem, they kind of went after something that wasn't really the problem. I feel like if they, if they went and defaced some sort of something that like the oil industry holds sacred, or you know something along those lines then um it might have it might have been more effective in That's like the direction of it think about that yeah yeah interesting huh let's think about let's let's think about some ideas on our own time of how how they could really strike strike a note in that industry Whatever. We're getting into sad, tragic conversation. Oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> what, do you, what would you like? What would you like to talk about? What, what, what are you thinking? What's on your mind? What's on my mind? Yeah. Um, well, this idea of positive placemaking. I mean, this idea of positive contributions to the to the earth and to yeah. community. Like we were, we were just talking about how communities can get gutted. And there's an interesting thing that happened in Bellingham um, during COVID, which probably happened in every small town that we've heard of, Ben, Boise, you know, Boise, Bozeman, Sandpoint, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's just this idea of people moving into a town and um, not contributing to the culture and pricing out those who live there. And this is a problem and we're going to see this. I mean, obviously I moved to towns where I am not from and I probably pushed out somebody who lived here before. And um, just the idea of how we can work together as a community to preserve cultural identity and cultural community, which I think is a really important word, community. And um, my friend and I have just begun a project um, got put on hold during COVID, but we picked it back up and we held six um, events, which are called Paper Whale. And it's called Paper Whale because it, it is 
on it's in our waterfront port area which was an old paper mill which was decommissioned um, in 1998 and the whale because the whale is a very important um, symbol in Coast Salish um, indigenous um, in the indigenous um, tribes the whale is the most important animal. And this idea of preserving the importance of this creativity is our is our focus. So paper whale events are, um, think it's a interactive creative design series. And basically it is TED Talk meets ingenuitive think tank. And so each of these six sessions so far have been a creative speaker. I mean, we're a small town. We don't get a lot of really high level creatives coming in and um, influencing or lecturing and whatnot. So one of our objectives is to bring in um, a wide variety of creatives. So, so far, you know, we brought in Adrian Sinclair who started the Vancouver International Mural Festival. Um, we brought in Kaplan Bunce, who's a native muralist who is out in Hawaii. You know, we're bringing in just some really diverse groups of people and firing up this creative citizens of Bellingham. But in addition, we are inspiring people to think about different ways in which they can make positive impact in the community through design and through invention and through implementation. And so it's just become this think tank of like, how can you make your community better? And I think this idea of just gathering people is something that is has kind of gotten put on, it's gotten put to the side during, you know, this time of COVID and this time of isolation and quarantine when communities have shifted so drastically and, you know, we came out of the isolation and quarantine and it was just like, where do I live? Who are my creative allies? What's going on here? And um, I just am really invigorated by this project that was just an experiment that we created. Um, and it's really awakened people. And it's just the response has been amazing. I mean, it started out with like 40 people and our last lecture was 90 people and bursting at the seams, like long wait list. Nice. And, um, we have some incredible ideas that we're going to be submitting to the port to actually implement, to get, to make positive change. Um, and I just, I would love to see this happening in more communities. You know, just getting, and the idea is to get a wide, like what you had said earlier, creatives with a capital C, just this idea of the poets, the architects, the musicians, the designers, the painters, the muralists, everyone in the same room, the new people who have moved from out of town, who are, drove their Tesla, and the old timers who are riding their, you know, vintage Raleigh bike, you know, just like getting all minds together and knowing there is commonality between us. The commonality is that we are all invested in seeing a beautiful creative community, a place that is positive, a place that we all want to live in and enjoy. So that's kind of what I've been diving into. And 
just pondering, like, could this be a greater, um, a greater opportunity for other communities in addition to our small community of Bellingham? Yeah. Are you seeing similar? Are you seeing any like creative gatherings or, you know, town hall gatherings in San Diego? Um, yeah, so they have these cool talks at the library in San Diego uh, that I was just told about recently. And so I'm going to start checking those out. But no, not like that. I mean, that's not 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 coordinated and organized like that. That sounds awesome. And um, it's really like, I, I think that's great. Get everyone in the same room and get them talking, get them thinking, get them like looking at each other and seeing that like we're all in a similar frequency here and and like what's best for every any one individual is also best for everybody because every it's just like makes the whole scene better um yeah it's it seems really cool really collaborative I love that people are responding to it already yes yes and just the different places that we can take it from I mean, just some fun activities like figure drawing sessions too. We were just brainstorming, like, let's have a critique. Yeah. What professional artist gets like a real art critique, like an honest up against the wall critique. So we're going to offer critique nights. Yeah. All domains of art. I think that would be super fun. Oh, that'd be so cool. That's one thing I really miss about art school is the critique experience. I actually brought the critique experience to uh, a soccer team I coached. Um, yeah. And so like we would have, uh, we did it a couple of times throughout the season. We'd have like a, a team, a critique. And I, as the coach, I was like, I'll go first. This is what my intention is. This is, you know, you kind of talk about yourself as, as like the, the art that you're trying to make. And you're like, this is what I'm trying to do. These are the challenges I've had. These are some struggles. This is what I think has worked what do you guys think? And then you just like shut up. And then the whole team, like, we're like, yeah, I think that's working or whatever. And then the players did it to each other. And um, the concept of critique is so cool. And I think a lot of people think of it as um, like a really like scary experience, but really like, I think, I mean, my opinion of what critique is, it is like the point of it is to make the art better make the artist better and so it's not to tear people down some people think of critique crits as like an opportunity for a teacher to like just tear up all the class but I don't think that's a productive way for teachers to do it I think you know like when it's done well then like you walk away with a little bit you know what has worked for people and then also things that they think could work better and you're like, all right, I'll go try that out. And then the painting gets better because of everybody. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah, as an art teacher, I think the biggest word that really influenced good critiques was instead of providing constructive criticism, changing criticism to feedback. Yeah. Because we all need feedback. I mean, that's how we work, you know, for for professional in a professional world that's how we work I get feedback all the time on my artwork on a mural design or logo and so that idea of receiving ample amounts of constructive feedback from a creative community you can take it or leave it but it's worthwhile just having that so yeah yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's awesome. Well, Gretchen, is there anything else that you want to talk about here? <sighs> I I think I think we hit we hit a lot. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. I agree. Uh, well, thank you for being on the show. This has been a blast. Um, Such a treat. <laughs> it's fun to talk art with with art people. It is, and yeah, you asked me have I been on podcasts before and I have but never with another artist so it's such a pleasure getting to getting to speak with somebody who talks my language yeah <laughs> it's a fun language it's a fun language all right well uh hang out for a second and I will stop the recording and yeah say bye to the people I guess bye <laughs> All right, my friends, that was my interview with Gretchen Leggett. She is up in the great Pacific Northwest, killing it, making murals, doing art all over the place. It's awesome. Um, yeah, that was a great conversation. It was really cool to hear uh, just like how far she's come along with her art and to reconnect. Uh, yeah, we were in some art classes together, some painting classes at CSU, and we went on the same trip i was uh i think a semester before maybe a year before but it's fun because in the painting classes we all like went to italy at different times so we could all connect on that level and yeah tuscany italy is incredible if you ever get the chance definitely go check out the art um you know it's like the birthplace of the western art culture which is cool there are many other art cultures as well, um, but that one, you know, started there. And uh, yeah, that was a great conversation. Got into some some stuff in the second part there. Sorry if I got a little heavy on it, but um, yeah, the, the the topic of that movement is um, you know Earth consciousness, con uh, awareness of our planet and what's going on and. It's definitely a heavy topic. It's kind of no way around that, but yeah. Otherwise, it was a nice, nice light conversation. It's cool. I was talking to Gretchen afterwards about, um, you know, my art, her art, like where I want to go with my my work, and it's really cool because she has found her voice, her artistic voice, and is just like running with it. You know, she's found a, a a feel and a flavor and a style and content and like and she's going with that and um you know like i i'm still finding like what my my jam is in a lot of ways and i'm sure that some of you out there are uh you know trying to find yourself and and so it's cool you know, it's neat hearing the idea of uh or like the concept of her advice saying like find your thing find your lane find um your you know your authenticity and and i i really do yeah i feel like if you do enough work and enough searching you're gonna find yourself and sometimes it people find it right away and sometimes it takes a long time but either way Either way, you're gonna be making a lot of art, a lot of whatever you do. So um, 
that is number one. Just do a lot, make a lot. Um, always be creating and being creative and thinking in terms of uh, creation. And you're going to find your way one way or the other. I think that's the main, main thought. Uh, just keep going. Just keep going, guys. That's it. So, anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode. This is just episode one of season four. So exciting. Number 101 overall. Looking forward to a really good season. We got a lot of good interviews lined up uh, with awesome people from many walks of life. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be great to walk down that path with you guys. So, thanks for being here. Hope you have a great day or night or whatever time it is for you. Cheers.